eyes on me. Cause I'm young, black, and gifted, Nina, all eyes gon' see. If you swung back when faced with a challenge that's meant to break you and balance scales, you ain't average. Now throw your hands on three. Gon' put them up for black magic. What's good, family? Welcome to another episode of the Black Men in Medicine podcast. I am your host, Corey Gatewood, bringing you that white coat trip. Today, we'll be rapping with an esteemed brother and Dr. Chase Richard. Dr. Richard is no joke, ladies and gentlemen. So get your bags ready for another segment of Collar Poppin' and Jim Droppin'. Dr. Chase Richard was born and raised in Atherton, California. He went on to Stanford University for his undergraduate education, majoring in human biology. He attended the University of Pennsylvania for medical school. During his time in medical school, he also earned his master's in business administration from Stanford University. And he is currently completing his residency training in emergency medicine at UCLA. You can find him on Instagram at chasearmy123, chasearmy123. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Dr. Chase Richard. What's up, what's up, good sir? What's good, Brody? I'm glad we're able to get you on the show. I know in the middle of saving lives, you could be sitting beachside or up under a palm tree somewhere. But how you been through the pandemic, the fires out on the West Coast and everything we got going on these days? It's wild. I mean, uh, 2020 is just like walking black swan event of every time I think I know anything. I've been reminded that I know absolutely nothing. The (laughs) beauty of it, though, is at least it's 80 degrees and the beach is five miles away. So it could be worse. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm a, a Bay Area guy, like born, raised, pretty much educated everything, East Bay, kind of like Peninsula area, but I never really spent much time down in LA. So it's been, it's been a transition, but it's been fun. It's definitely been a good spot for me. Absolutely. You haven't gone Hollywood on us, have you? Never, never. Too broke. <laughs> <laughs> the city must be lit right now, though, with the Lakers doing their thing in the finals. Achoo. Excuse me. That's my Beantown allergy. It happens every time I bring up the Lakers. Um, but now that you've relocated, and are you sipping the Lakers Kool-Aid now? So, 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 oh, no. So here's the, the truth. So I grew up in Oakland, right? I should be a Warriors fan. But when I was a little kid, they traded away everyone I loved. So I decided, why do I root for a team? Why don't I just root for Shaq? So I just followed Shaq everywhere until he was garbage. And I'm like, okay, I need to pick another person. So I just picked LeBron. No question. LeBron is definitely a good one to follow. One of the greatest to ever do it. But even off the court, what he does as an activist in, in his community. Actually, there's an organization at Ohio State called Heads Up, started by a group of medical students, myself included. Shout out to my guy, Corey Thompson, for leading the wave. For some of you that don't know, LeBron James literally has created a school called I Promise for the disadvantaged students in his hometown. And not only does he provide them with access to better education, but the resources to succeed like transportation, clothes, toiletries, laptops, healthcare, and a program like Heads Up to come in and educate these students on medicine. So big ups to LBJ for impacting lives on such a grand scale, all while being told at times he doesn't do enough by some. Wild. Broad, broad. I mean, like, I, I think about sometimes if people followed me around all day and wrote down, like, had long form articles of all the ways I fall short, I don't think I'd be, <laughs> you know, uh, I think that would make it a little bit more challenging. You know, 17 years old, I have a grown men like right about you. It's kind of weird. And I think, like, how many people you set these outrageously lofty expectations and they actually meet them? Right. So I've always been, you know, sort of impressed and, and, 
you know, you're not always going to be rewarded for making the right play or doing the right thing, but that's really all that's in your control. So I think it's a good reminder of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Speaking of not always being rewarded for doing the right thing, how do you keep that mindset and stay positive as an emergency medicine physician, especially in a time like this when you're risking your well-being while some of your patients believe health prevention is optional or political stance, such as wearing a mask? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I sort of feel and this is a bit of a hot take that when America lets you down, you end up in one of three places. You end up in an underfunded public school, you end up in the criminal justice system, or you end up in an emergency department. So I see a lot of people who I feel like were let down. And I think what gives me the, uh, like the focus or the inspiration or the, uh, the drive to kind of show up and give the best effort that I can is it's probably more likely than not. Like this is the worst person. This is the worst day of this person's life. So it's almost impossible for me to make it worse. So like, <laughs> it's all up. It's all, you know, up to the right. So I try to come in, you know, bring a good attitude and, and say like, you know, how can I in a couple of minutes, like make you feel, you've got to feel it. Um, like how do I make you feel heard and acknowledged? Because I'm just a dude in a white coat and I never wear a white coat. So I'm just a dude who walks in the room and say, Hey, what's up? I'm Chase. Like, why are you here? <laughs> and like, I kind of got to figure that out. I, there's no other job kind of like that. But I think knowing the things that people went through uh, to not come to the room, right? Like, they already did the Googling, they already asked their friends, they already like thought about it, and it was enough for them to come in. So I think that earns, you know, you. I got to give my best. Man, you make that seem easy. But to see someone at their worst and still maintain that degree of optimism while providing comfort is a difficult task. What allows you to provide this type of care? Yeah, it's all people. The job's all people. Um, You can always go. There's a couple of things you probably have to memorize to, you know, how do you run a code, things like that, where you don't have the time to go look at your phone. But most things you can go look at your phone. So it's really about being able to connect with people, meet people where they are, not where you might like them to be, but where they are. And people show up where they are in the emergency department. I think the big takeaway is even if, uh, which is, I think served me pretty well in residency is you can always get juice and blankets. Thanks. Which like, it sounds silly, but like, you're not always going to solve their problem. You're not always going to have the answer for them or worse. You do figure out what's going on and it's not good, but you are never above thinking about like, how can I make this person's day a little bit better? So I always offer like, we got a multitude of juices and horrible sandwiches and I can get you all of them that you want. (laughs) So with all the specialties out there, why did you choose emergency medicine? Medicine, I don't know how any of this happened, Gate. Like, <laughs> I, uh, I never, I never wanted to be a doctor growing up. Like, I, I didn't read gift. I started gifted hands, and then he like beat up his friend. I was like, this dude is crazy. Like, why? I want to. Right. I can't be. I don't want to do this. I wanted to be like an inventor. I wanted to be an engineer. Um, I read a bunch of bio. You know, I, I read a bunch of like Michael Crichton books. I got into biotech, but I, my whole idea was I wanted to make things. And then I kind of realized that, you know, end of high school, beginning of college, I didn't know what anybody wanted. Like, I don't know what is an important need in healthcare. So I decided, you know, you can get the PhD route. So I was doing, you know, the, the stuff you do, right? Like you go to the lab and you kill a bunch of mice and you're like, wow, why'd I do that? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, 
because I can't do it on people, right? So I start, someone's going to have to get it. So it's, unfortunately, it's the mice. And, you know, you write the papers and you do all that stuff and you get dominated by chemistry, right? And I was like, this isn't any fun. Uh, and it didn't fit my personality. And I didn't think like, you know, you're always trying to figure out, you're always yeah, trying to shore up your weaknesses. But I think it's also really important to identify like where you're strong because that's really what's going to push you through these things. So I was like, I know I'm strong with people. I know I'm, and I think if I, if I had more exposure to, to patients and the people who have these needs, I do a better job making the thing for them. So that's actually kind of how I got into this in, in the first place. And I sort of just hoped that I would find a specialty where you got broad clinical exposure to a lot of problems. You got broad exposure to a lot of the provider, not just the physicians, but like throughout the health health system and that you'd have enough time to go do something about it. You know, if you're always in the OR, you're always, uh, you know, too busy to like, to really realize those interesting ideas to commercialize those like thoughts on the whiteboard, you know, you're not gonna be able to do anything about it. So uh, with those ideas in mind, I, I kind of found myself, I stumbled into medicine and then stumbled into emergency medicine was sort of was the best fit for me. And then I just have, you know, too much fun with it. Drop in gyms, Chase. You know how we do on the Black Men in Medicine podcast, but that awareness to seek a lifestyle conducive to your happiness and strengths is amazing, especially that you possess that so early on in the game. As you mentioned, you didn't have it all figured out, but even without having your plan laid out for you, you managed to graduate from Stanford earning the Dean's Award. How did you set yourself apart from the competition? I think the most important part is... It was, I mean, it was mentoring and it was support. Like, I'm not here for, I took advantage of every opportunity I did not deserve, right? <laughs> like, the, even like the award, right? That people decided, like, hey, let's just give that to Chase. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it wasn't like I was, you know, trust me, you could have compared GPAs and it's like, uh, you know, probably not the most deserving. Um, but I think, and undergrad and kind of even moving forward is like, you just boldly stumble. All you have to do is boldly stumble forward. I have no idea what I'm doing, right? Like I think coronavirus has like pulled the wool off from our eyes that clearly no one knows what's going on. All that is in your control is to like push forward and the things that you're interested in and have a focus on figuring out like, how am I going to give back? How am I going to contribute? And what really matters the most to me? So what matters the most to me is these ideas of, you know, it's it's not as hard as people think it is to have a positive impact on people's day, and it's bigger than you. And I think, like, I've always tried to focus on those two ideas, and then you know, the job title or whatever it happens to be is going to fall where it was. And that's how I like found myself in medicine. That's how I found myself in a lot of places. I was like, what am I doing here? Um, is is that you know, this is how I want to contribute. This is how I want to give back. I know what makes me feel fulfilled. It's doing work like this. And then I need help. And then because I clearly didn't get here by myself, I spent a lot of my time and energy and effort, you know, trying to figure out like, well, how can I be of help? Like, how can I pull people up? Whether it be, you know, developing programs, pipeline programs, whether it be like one-on-one mentorship, whether it be, you know, reading emails or essays or people applying to schools or programs, like that's, and then knowing that, um, you know, I'm not going to be able to have that one-on-one relationship with everybody. So the promise I always make and the promise I'm going to make to any of your viewers is if, you, if any of you ever hit me up, uh, the rule is I'll help you till I die. But 
you're going to have to pick up the phone when the person calls you and you're going to have to go read that essay and you're going to have to go advocate and fight for someone to get, you know, the role or the accolade that they deserve. Uh, so that, that's my deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's wonderful. Um, you know, mentorship comes up a lot on the show. I mean, it's, it's, it's pivotal for success. Can you think of a, a moment that was pivotal for you in terms of mentorship and, and allowing you to land where you are right now? Yeah, I think, you know, one thing I did in college was I start I started a mentorship program because I sort of saw the washout, like you start off in intro chemistry and the room actually looks pretty diverse. But then by the time you get to like third class at Orgo, everybody's gone. Right. And it's like, why does this happen every single year? So what I was trying to do is I found a bunch of African-American physicians uh, in the Bay Area and matched them with black undergrads. So it's not as an African-American mentorship program. And I think that like, actually by creating all those uh, relationships, I you know got to meet all those people as well. So they all sort of served as my mentor because I think what can happen is if you're not able to create sort of a vision of what you either want for yourself or like what you think is possible. Like you're not going to go after and get it because you know, like why would you, if you you don't see, you look around and say like, look, no one gets these sorts of grades or no one gets in these sorts of schools. So I won't either. Um, Unless you see it's possible and you can meet the people who've done it and they can give you sort of the tools of the trade, you know, you're going to be at a disadvantage. So I think like putting together that resource for others really, you know, clarified for myself, like, this is it. Like, this is what you want. This is what I want. This is what I want to do. This is how I feel fulfilled. And this is the answer. I love it. Truly out here lifting as you climb. But to piggyback on what you said, my freshman year, where I kind of told the academic advisor that I was interested in pre-med, he told me, you know, you can't do that and play football at the same time. And then to follow that up, I get into this the daunting chemistry class um, where I can't understand half of the things on the board. And then I see one, maybe two people who look like me. And then to further add on to the, the rarity is like there's no one else on my team that was also in the class. So being a first generation college student from the inner city of Boston all the way across the country, going against my all knowing advisor, quote unquote, and no one to relate to. You better believe you feel like you're going against a stacked deck. And through those trying moments along the way, and believe me, there were many, uh, you feel like you want to turn back and head the other way. So I say that to say that this program you created is needed. It's essential across the country. Have you seen any rewards from starting a program like this? Yeah, because, because of that experience, I sort of learned, you know, like, how do you organize I learned a couple lessons and actually like when they talk about like making mistakes and failure. So what I didn't realize was how important institutionalizing these programs is. I just thought like, you know, I'll show up, I'll do the work and then it'll be fine. But the problem is like when you become the lifeblood in an organization, it, it doesn't have any foundation. It doesn't have any structure. So I left and it just fell apart. And I was like, uh, words I can't say on a podcast <laughs> is, is how I felt. Right. But then I was like, okay, so run it back. So then the next year on my gap year, you know, I worked in the office of education, uh, the vice provost office of education to get a better understanding of like, you know, how do you, how do you institutionalize pipeline programs? And then when I went to Philly for med school, I sort of had, you know, I knew how to set it up. I'd done a lot of research to travel across the country. Uh, and then, you know, I put together, uh, uh, the Johnson Scholars Program at University of Pennsylvania, which is still there. Every year we're taking uh, you know, URM students at the 
uh, undergraduate level and sort of coaching them up, providing them the mentorship, the academic support, uh, and, and founding a relationship between the University of Pennsylvania and our respective school of medicine. And I took the lessons I learned and I, I joint housed it between the undergraduate and the medical school department so that, you know, once I'm gone and I'm gone, it's still going. Like, he doesn't need me anymore. So you've been afforded some great opportunities being at amazing institutions and educational programs along your journey. Have you ever had to prove that you belong on the basis that not many people in the room look like you? Yeah, I, I think, you know, so what's so interesting is, so I, you know, I grew up in the East Bay and my mom got a job in Palo Alto area. So we moved down to the peninsula and I went to high school in this town called Atherton. So like every year Atherton is ranked like the wealthiest enclave suburb. It's like where the people, like I went to school with the people who own basketball teams. Money, real so, money. Yeah. <laughs> like, forget like, real. Oh, my dad's a doctor, man. Forget doctor. Like, my dad owns the Warriors. Right. <laughs> it's, so I was like, Let's whoa. On the go to practice. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. right. It's, it's, I was like, you know, like this is, you're like one degree away from the lizard people who run everything, right? right. So, like, yeah. uh, so that was weird. And like, that was a transition. Like, that was hard. Like, feeling like I didn't, I, I, I shouldn't be there. I didn't deserve to be there. I wasn't like good enough or I felt like I wasn't acknowledged, um, you know, for what I, what I had to contribute. And I think that one thing I've been very, very fortunate for that experience was hard. Like that was, I did not have fun in high school <laughs> for the most part. Um, but it actually, it, it cured me of a lot of like thoughts of imposter syndrome mm-hmm. because what it did was like, look, whether you not, you think I should be here or not, I'm here. And I like, I am immovable. You cannot get rid of me. So it's, um, once I, when, when I find myself in those rooms, I was like, well, I'm in this room and like, they cannot take you out of this room. And you are just as deserving and worthy of anybody else in this room. Cause remember, nobody else knows what they're talking about either. Right. So, yeah. uh, so why not you? Um, so I think like that experience, uh, gave me the confidence that when I was, you know, in these labs, where I'm the only black person they've ever seen, right? Like I should be in this lab. Like when I'm in these pre-med classes, when I'm putting together pipeline programs, when I'm, you know, I left, uh, I left my med school to go across the country to go to business school. I was like, because I should be doing those things because why not me? Um, and, and that's sort of the mentality and the mindset I, I try to and you and other people is that like, look, you can look at that. I, I'll tell you, like when I applied to medical school, my GPA, I was bottom 10th percentile of every single school I applied to. Gotcha. Yeah. And it all worked out. <laughs> um, and if you feel like, well, I shouldn't be there. I'm not deserving. It, you're you're going to deprive yourself of those opportunities. And it's just not, you, you've, you've worked too hard and you've done too much. Speaking for you, just like, I don't know if I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got you. Um, so yeah, like don't, don't ever sell yourself. There's too many other people who sell you short. Don't ever sell yourself short. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you don't believe in yourself, then no one will. Right. Right. What did you lean on or what were some things that kind of helped you, uh, figure those things out by yourself? I I was so fortunate to have parents. Like, so like when I walk into rooms and I feel like people don't believe in me, I, I, I I like question it. Like, why not? Why, Why wouldn't you? And that's, that's unique. Like that is something that got drilled into me that I'm so much better off because it did, because the difference of assuming, like I assume I should be anywhere that I am. Uh, and, and when you adopt that mindset, you're, you're able to, you're a part of so much more like, 
you can uh, even like this week i was asked to be a part of a uh, i was asked to be a part of sort of like a, a year-long committee process for this a lot of the diversity initiatives we're working on at ucla and i was like that sounds cool but i hear you're hiring like a new diversity officer i want to be on that and they're like well you know like, we don't have residents on that and i was like i know you don't have residents on that but what about me though <laughs> and they're like, oh, <laughs> I have residents. I like, of course you can't let them do it. But what about me, though? And I and I say it jokingly, but I mean, like, but that's how you get. A, that's how you become a part of these opportunities. Like, that's how you get to do what you really want to do. Is believing, like, why not you? Like, why? Why I should be. I know I can contribute. I know I can help out. So I think because they were able to instill that so early on, I and because I was so lucky to get that, I make it a huge priority. Um, to offer myself up to people who are like have, have these questions or need some help, especially you know like black and brown people trying to get into medicine. So you know if if you feel like hey this guy can be of help, this guy speaking like me, like please let me know, please reach out. I'm sure I'll provide my email and all that stuff because it's not easy. But if you don't push for yourself and sort of find the people who want to continue to advocate and support you, you're not going to be able to like part of this is an obligation. Like people need you to come through on the things that like you're dreaming about. So if I can be of help, you know, that's my obligation and I'm, I'm happy to do it. Absolutely. So clearly medical school wasn't a daunting enough task for you. You decided to spin off and get your MBA during the process did you always know you wanted to have a hand in business? No, man, I don't know anything. No, I didn't, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Yo, here's how I got in. Here's how I got in business school. This is this is the truth. The uh, truth is that yeah. senior year of college, I had the opportunity to talk about some of the research I was doing because uh, our our coordinator of like black. Our like black person at Stanford, the person who runs all black stuff, her name is Jan. Shout out to Jan, by the way. Jan said, like, Chase, go talk about your research, right? She could have picked anybody else. And then I got that opportunity, which I didn't deserve, which then you have to go take advantage of. Yeah. So I went up there. I, I'm talking about my research and at, at this like leading matters, so a fundraising event. And this dude walks up to me after I'm done. He's like, loved your presentation. Have you considered business school? And I was like, uh, not really. No. Like, who are you? I was like, well, I'm the dean of admissions to Stanford Business School, and you should really consider business school. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, right? like, so that's how I got into business school. Uh, the decision to do it was more of, there was actually what finally tipped me over was when I was in Philly. You know, so I went to Penn. Uh, there's a lot of penetrating trauma in Philadelphia, and what was so devastating is, you know, you're going to be, the, I was one of the few black people who was on the provider side, right? But everybody getting shot is another 25, 26-year-old black dude, right? So, like, you're the only one not shot in the room. And, like, right. that is heavy. Mm -hmm. um, so they had a, a, a trauma recidivism program where they would provide resources and outreach and psychological services and job placement uh, opportunities for victims of trauma. And this the year before I showed up, they sort of lost funding for that program. Now, it was only, like, the thousands of dollars a year. That year... Uh, my med school built the third largest proton therapy building in the world. No kidding. So what I saw, and maybe you all have seen this too, is, oh, there's no money for you, but there's money. Right. And I was like, I don't know how money works. 
I have no idea how money works. I need to be a part of these conversations. I need to be in these rooms, but I don't speak the language. I've got to go hit that dude up who says I should go to business school. So, yeah, absolutely. So that's really what, that's what finally pushed me in that direction. I was thinking about it a little bit during medical school. Like I took the GRE. So I sort of like, I already had that test set up and I applied. And once again, like you got to give yourself a shot, shoot your shot. I applied every year I was in med school, even like three years early. Cause I'm like, shoot, if they let me in, they let me in. They haven't let me in when I applied. I deferred for a couple of years, which they normally don't let people do. But once again, like it doesn't matter what they normally let people do. It matters what they're going to do for you. Right. Um, I was able to go out, you know, come back to Stanford and, and, uh, one, learn a ton about sort of an area I was so blind and naive to, and two, hang out on party boats in Thailand, and three, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, yeah, 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 hey, a good work, 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 yeah, work hard, play hard, you know what I mean? So, yeah, man. I, I get it, yeah. And, and, then, but the, the most important thing I actually took away from business school was I did this thing called uh, the Leadership Fellow. So I was a life coach for a year. Okay. And I took this class called Touchy Feely. And what Touchy Feely is, it's interpersonal dynamics. It's how do you forge connections, not with the people like you're immediately drawn to or gravitate towards, but how do you forge connections with anybody? And you have these like seven hour long sessions and you talk about all this stuff. And it, it can, and it made me realize if you don't make people feel heard and acknowledged, nothing matters. Whether you're wearing a white coat, whether you're wearing a blue suit, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Right. Uh, so I, I did really get some important takeaways from that experience. That once again, like people made all that possible. But what did I do? I took the GRE. Right. Well, you controlled the things you can control, then you let the chips fall where they may. If you had to talk about like one of your most difficult days on this on a service, uh, how would you describe it? Yeah, like what's I mean, you're get some hard. Uh, you know, there was a, I was in the pediatric ICU and there was a young woman who came in. It's interesting, right? So it's peds. <clears throat> so 15 years old, she'd already had three, I think she was on her third heart. <clears throat> and she came in with a uh, troponin, which is like the marker of uh, cardiac damage. A, a normal troponin is like under 0.04. Her troponin was 15 and she had chest pain. Everyone's like, like whoa, what's going on with her? Like, she, she had a heart attack. Uh, so, you know, I'm calling all the cardiologists and stuff like, Hey, you know, like, what do we do? I'm, I'm, I'm the intern, right? Like I just put in the orders. <laughs> I'm not the yeah. idea, man. And right. like, you don't get it. Like she's not leaving this hospital. And this is it. And, you know, taking care of her for final week, I got out of a, sh- I got out of a shift I went home and I was hanging out with some friends and my resident was like, uh, she just died. and. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll be honest, I broke one of my rules, which is I sometimes don't think, I don't do the math when it comes to how detrimental something might be to me. Like things have a cost. And sometimes right. I forget that. I think like if there's any upside, it's worth doing, but things have a cost. So I dropped everything I was doing. I drove, I double parked, I went to the hospital. And, you know, like her mom was on the bed. She was, she had died. She was on the bed. I like laid on the bed with them and she gave me, the mom gave me this photo and I still have this photo of the daughter. And I remember walking out of there thinking like, you were not very kind to yourself. Like you didn't have a game plan about like how you were going to address, like, what are you going to do with this photo? You can't throw it away. You can't put it on your wall. Right. right? But like, it's part, it's with you now. And Mm -hmm. you didn't consider 
the impact that this could have on you. You just went out and did it. And like, you got to stop doing that. That was a hard mm. day. Yeah. Uh, that was yeah. probably my hardest day of residency. Mm. That's powerful. Um, that's powerful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, but, um, you know, you, you learned from it, you processed it, um, and you're continuing to do that. That's going to make you a better physician going forward. If you didn't go into medicine, what could you see yourself doing? I kind of view this as, uh, I, to answer your question, professional chef, like for sure. Your boy throws down. I love it. <laughs> right. It's, because it's the exact same job, right? Like it, if you, all right. So if you ever did a cookout, right? So like, you don't know how many people are going to show up, right? People tell, oh, you're going to be there at two. They're not going to be there at two. You got to account for that. Like, when are people really going to show up? Are they going to bring extra people? So you have no idea what's going to happen. You have an idea of how you're going to like cook it, prepare it, plate everybody, situate everything. Fires pop off. You know, there's like, how are you going to organize it? Get it out in time. Uh, you know, present something you're special with and you're on the clock. Things are stressful. Things are intense. It's the exact same job. So, but I think like, you know, I don't know how long, I, I think like, you know, probably 20 years from now, the fact I was a, 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 a physician might be like a cool, like party trick I bring up sometimes because there's other things I want to do. And that's make sure you invite me to the party. Yeah. Come through, man. It's like, <laughs> Oh, check this out. Right. I can put tubes in people's necks. <laughs> um, I, I think like, uh, but I, I really do believe this. I am doing exactly what I want. So you got to pick something that you like, this is the best gig. I, this is the best gig I've ever had. I've had higher paying gigs. Right. <laughs> this is the best gig I've ever had. You get to walk in, you know, your late twenties, early thirties, you get to walk in in people's lives, be unbelievably impactful, learn a ton, right? Like get challenged, get stretched, always have that opportunity to like show and develop what you know. You meet cool, interesting people. Uh, like what else, what else could I possibly be doing right now? And, and, and saving lives in the process. Yeah. And then like, you know, they, the patients seem to appreciate that. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. So, you, you know, you mentioned that you said, you know, what would you rather be doing? You know, you're, you know, you're in twenties and thirties living the life that you want to live. Um, when you walked away from, uh, rugby and football, did you miss the sport at all? You know, that's what's so strange. So like, I never, I never thought I was, I never thought I was a football player. I, I just thought like, yo, this is fun. I like throwing my body into things <laughs> like, and I like the guys. Like, <clears throat> but when I realized, you know, like it was hard walking away from football, uh, but having, I had zero, like asked, I never wanted to play in the league. I never wanted, I, I wanted to just make like, you know, medical devices and things like that. And I sort of found myself doing D one football. I was like, what, <laughs> you know? <laughs> How did, what? Yeah, I broke my foot. It came back from that. And it reached this point where I was like, uh, you know what happened? What happened was it was a spring ball. There was this little, you know, unknown freshman quarterback by the name of Andrew Luck, who was like roasting folk and everyone ahead of me got hurt. And, so I played <laughs> right, right? and I was like, one or two things. So like everyone ahead of me who should be ahead of me, was not going to play in the spring game. So I was saying, shoot, I'm going to play in the spring game. And I was like, one of two things are going to happen. Andrew's either going to roast me and I'm never going to be able to quit because I'm going to have to like make that yeah. up or worse. I do well. <laughs> and now I'm never going to be able to quit. Right. Um, so I, I, I had to take stock of like, look, what do I really want to do? What do I really care about? And it was no longer like conducive to the things I, I felt like I needed to do. So, you know, went in, cried my ass off to Jim Harbaugh. He gave me a diet Pepsi. 
I walked out and I joined the rugby team. <laughs> <laughs> like within seconds. Yeah, yeah, you know, they would do that. That was fun. Right. Uh, speaking of Jim Harbaugh, uh, what's uh, a memorable moment of you and Big Jim? <laughs> yeah, what, what, what can I say? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of, as you know, there's a lot of great memories that I can't say. <laughs> Absolutely. Podcast friendly. Podcast friendly memories. Uh, mind you, you know, mind like, you, we're over at Ohio State, so there's no there's no love for the uh, the school up no north, man. Yeah, I mean, I tell people all the time when you speaking about someone who you got to bet on you. I remember there was this like wide receiver who got hurt, who tried to switch positions, who coach, coach man, coach hated this dude. <laughs> And dude hated coach. Right. And, you know, got drafted, like, switched positions, dealt with that transition, the challenges of that. And now look at Richard Sherman go. (laughs) You got to bet. Richard Sherman never stopped betting on Richard Sherman. Absolutely. Future Hall of Famer, for sure. Future Hall of Famer, man. Like, you know, like Doug Baldwin, like, right. All these dudes, like, who balled out, you know, balled out in the league, had great careers or whatever. They had moments with this crazy person, Jim. Where it's like, do I want to keep doing this? Is this still like part of my plan and my passion? And they push through it, and that's like kind of the only way. So the, the but what I learned about Jim, what Jim taught me is, if you've ever watched Narcos, you know Pablo Escobar. If you stay really focused on one thing, you can be pretty good at it. That man showed up and is like, here's how we're going to do things. Whether or not like he actually subscribed to those thoughts and ideologies didn't really matter. He showed me how important and how impactful setting a culture can be. And he did it like overnight. Like the dude as the dude, I, I will never forget that. Like that. So that is probably my big takeaway lesson from, uh, from Mr. Harbaugh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, absolutely. That's a great point, man. I mean, he definitely forced every person on the field to be um, their best competitor and he got the best out of you. You know, whether that was him doing it through a, a you know, positive reinforcement or negative reinforcement, uh, he was very good at figuring out uh, what would drive you and, and, and really making people compete. Um, so I, I do appreciate the experiences from Harbaugh and that translates now into medicine, right? Uh, what we always say on the show is resiliency is a prerequisite for success and uh, playing football under him and, and, and having that opportunity really fostered that has having an experience like this helped you in medicine. Absolutely. Like, you know, it's funny. Uh, so I'm in my second year of emergency medicine residency, which is sort of like the hard year. You're expected to see more patients. People expect more of you. You're not an intern anymore. And they're like, you know, you've got to embrace the suck. He's like, oh, you don't understand, fam. I know suck. <laughs> <laughs> this does not suck. This does not frighten me. You know, like I broke, I broke my, I broke two, I broke my fourth and fifth metatarsal. I got them surgically repaired. The day after the surgery, I was crutching and I crutched my surgically repaired foot into a curb. No kidding. That sucks. <laughs> you know, like camp sucks. Yeah. Like right until you throw up sucks. Charlie shouting his mouth off sucks. Yeah. Um, I'm like, shoot, I, I, I did that. Like none of this scares me. None of this is problematic. This is all fine. You mentioned a while back uh, that one of your hobbies was constructing air cannon. Is that something you still like to do? Yeah, man. I still have, I, I keep one on me. <laughs> I uh, it's yeah. That's one of the many weird nerdy things I do. When I was a kid, we went on some like field trip 
Uh-huh. And uh, all the lunches had spoiled. So, like, all the fruit was all bad, whatever. So, we were just chucking the, we were in a contest, like, who can throw an apple the farthest? And I, like, I didn't win. And I'm like, that is unacceptable. There must be a way to throw things further, right? <laughs> so, I found, when I was like, what, 12, 13, I found, like, oh, you know, you can make these big air cannons, like a PVC pipe, whatever, and blast potatoes, like, over a football field. I'm like, bet, I'm gonna do that. And I learned so much from, like, that process of tinkering and engineering, and, like, you know, you you actually te- can teach yourself kinematics and physics and forces and all that stuff when you're, like, shooting things and projectile motion or whatever. Uh, so I always, I, I just brought it out to our, like, retreat. I was like, yo, check this out. You know, bring out the cannon, have everyone shoot that off. <laughs> so I'm still messing around with that. I still do, like, the 3D printing and the laser cutting and all that weird stuff that I'm still into. So, yeah, never stop, never stop geeking out. Right. You know, you got to have hobbies. You got to refuel the soul, right? That being said... We know that residency training requires a heavy time investment. How have you managed to allot time for yourself? So my problem is I, me and idle hands, like don't get along. So I got to stay kind of busy and active and doing things. This sort of works for emergency medicine. So I actually feel like I've filled up my schedule with the things that I really do care about. So, I mean, like you got to be focused on the clinical elements. Like there's a lot of things I want to sort of do after residency. And uh, I probably will gravitate a little less like as uh, uh, like clinically heavy and sort of separate myself from that. And, and as my career goes forward, but as far as right now, like residency, it's you're learning medicine. Like you're learning how to become a doctor. So like, that's the main priority, but you know, I like, so I got, that's one, uh, you know, diversity recruitment outreach <clears throat> at the residency level supporting, you know, it's, it's a, it's a application season. So I'm reading people's essays and applications and getting people right, answering questions and trying to be a resource for people. That's really like the second way I spend my time, uh, you know, trying to stay fit, run around, shooting some hoops, like COVID's made that tough, but I, you know, it's crazy. Like, you know, you're basically a house plant with more sophisticated emotions. So like, you know, <laughs> water and exercise, sunlight. like it's kind of, you yeah. can think you don't need those things, but you need those things. And I, I try to convince myself, like, I don't need sleep, but I do need sleep. No kidding. Uh-huh. And that's therapeutic as well. You know what I mean? You're leaving a legacy, but you're also, you know, doing the things you need to do to refuel and keep the, keep the bar moving. Yeah. Cause it could be, it can be, I mean, I think I, like if you ask other, I've had a great time. Like, this, as I said, like this is the best job I've ever had. I, but I think that sometimes people don't realize like you can create your own fun and you can create your own good time. You may have too much fun. I'm, hey, I'm going to try and get you to come out West. Hey, I, I'm all for it, man. I'm all for it. A lot of our listeners, you know, we have difficulties with like um, board exams and, and, and getting through, you know, these these hoops that you have to do, which may not be directly related to your ability to practice medicine. But it, there is a part of the job that you have to get through. Um, you have any uh, words of wisdom that you can speak to, to to help in these situations? I mean, I, I'll be honest, that forthright, like with my story. Right? So, you know, you I know. I know why I get into like, whether it be programs or opportunities, like it's not the test. Like it's not my test. Cause that's not why they're letting me in. Um, I always like, I'm going to do good enough to like, have you not have concerns, but then that's all I'm going to give you. I, I mean, I prioritize like the clinical elements, right? So I, I wanted to make sure I was getting high clinical scores on my, like on my uh, clerkship year and the shelves are going to be the shelves. But, you know, so I did the practice. I did as many practice problems as I possibly could. Some went well, some went okay, right? But, you know, the big thing, although it's changing, was like step, right? Like, what's your step score? What's your step score? So I was like, you know, I was grinding. 
yeah, I was like, I'm going to take the same approach I took to the MCAT. I was able to do very well in the MCAT, which opened up a ton of doors uh, for the programs I was able to apply to and the financial aid that like, you know, came through from that. So I was like, you know, I got to bring it this time. Um, yeah, you know, I, I was testing like very, very high. I was like numbers or whatever. Um, and I, I got my score back, bro. I fell out of my chair. I was like, I scored 30 points lower than I was like testing. And I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> I called my mentor immediately. Like I'm dying. Help. Yeah. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And she said, but she said, she's like, Chase, shut up. Right. <laughs> you need just shut up. Like, this is all going to be fine. Like, don't, I, I think once again, you can get caught up in averages. Here's the thing. If you, if you, any of you decide to go to business school, averages don't matter. You can't eat averages. They, and, and if you need a better example or a better analogy, think back to the Rockets when they played the Warriors a couple years back, man. Team that shoots 33% from three. Zero for 27. They missed 27 threes in a row. Think of the statistical anomaly that that is, but it happened. Right. So you start focusing just on the, oh, like these people have these scores. These people have these, whatever. Therefore I shouldn't be there. You're going to deprive yourself from a lot of cool opportunities. So if I had listened to some people who said, like, oh, you need to apply to like 70 programs because like your step score wasn't where it needed to be. I would have deluded myself and not really focused on the places I, I really wanted to go, I probably would have been worse off for it. Because I sort of viewed whether it be like the, the struggles I had in chemistry, the struggles I had in, in uh, you know, on my step score. And like, these are just some things that are like kind of in my way. They're not going to be in my way. And that's sort of the mindset that I've taken. And I think that's like where I've been able to do the things I've, I've, I have been able to do is I'm not going to let something so inconsequential. And even if it sounds like, oh my God, your step score, your chemistry, all this other stuff. Not for the work that I'm trying to do, um, and the work that you're trying to do, and the work that your listeners are trying to do. Like you, you owe it to yourself, and you owe it to a lot of other people. Big facts. So before I let you go, there's one question I ask all the guests on the show: What are the three most important principles you live by to date? That's a good question. And I, I, let me think. Let me think. The most important people are the most important thing. People are why you get out of bed. People are why you like you grind, you struggle, and you work. And like people are why you love. People are why people gave you like the opportunity to do these things. And I just like I think that my fixed belief that you know that's what I'm here for is to do right by others um, is 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 why I'm me. It's why I pursued the things I pursued. It's why um, you know. And I think by by focusing. Sometimes the detriment by myself, but if I'm focusing on others, right? Like I've attracted good people around me. Like, I think like those efforts, you could, you could argue like, well, you know, if you're trying to always give and help everybody, like people might try and take advantage of you. Like that's true, but people are going to try and take advantage of you anyway. I think that by, by, by doing right by others and extending yourself and being a good friend and being a good, you know, someone that pe- people can rely on good people gravitate towards you. Like people better than I deserve gravitate towards me. Um, so I, I think like that's probably the most important thing is that idea of, uh, you got, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> they ask me what I do and who I do it for, right? It's people. So that'd be number one. I think like having the support of, I think b- being instilled with this idea of like, of course you can do this. Like, of, wh- like, why not? Right. Like my parents instilled that in me. And I think that's just so fundamental to, who I like sort of this never say die, like boldly stumble forward. Like a lot of the things I was saying, I think it was instilled by my parents of, 
you know, why not you? Uh, you're just as deserving. You're just as capable as anybody else. And it's going to be somebody. That's the other thing. Like that's sort of the, the, the after the colon of that phrase mm-hmm. is Definitely. somebody sits in a chair. Like somebody is ultimately the gardener who decides like which flowers get water and which ones didn't. Right. So like <clears throat> for yourself and for all, you know, for all your listeners kind of think about, you know, what are the flowers that you want to garden? Like what, what are the underappreciated, underacknowledged, acknowledged uh, underwatered, uh, things that you notice in your life, whether it be on a clinical context, whether it be in a community context, whether it be in a familial or social context, right? There's pe- there are totally deserving people, things, and opportunities that are not getting the water they deserve, and you have an obligation to get it to them. So I think like staying focused on that has allowed me to sort of bypass some of these other things, whether it be like the feelings of that I shouldn't belong or the insecurity or. Um, that otherwise could have stopped me from doing what I wanted to do. I, I think the third thing um, is I'm going to relate it just to medicine. So I, one of the many hot takes I'll say, like if I'm on shift, other than like who's ready to show up and add value, <laughs> is uh, don't give medicine the satisfaction. So what I mean by that is medicine doesn't deserve you feeling inadequate. Medicine doesn't deserve you feeling less than or, or that you're not capable or that you're stupid or that you're what it doesn't deserve it. It hasn't earned it. Um, medicine or whatever your career happens to be is a vessel and an opportunity for you to give back in the way that is ultimately most fulfilling for you. And that's all that it is. And the day that it's not get out. Mm, powerful. Um, I think staying focused on that, like that's how I don't, I certainly have a challenging shift. Like I I can have challenging patients, but I've never given medicine the satisfaction. And I think like, that's why I'm able to have so much fun. That's why I'm able to give back. That's why I'm able to recruit and talk to people and and give myself is because I, I didn't waste myself on this entity, this, this like all consuming energy sucking leech because it doesn't deserve it three more gems for you ladies and gentlemen do right by others believe in yourself don't give medicine the satisfaction by dr chase richard powerful message chase before we let you go anything else you got for the audience ah shoot anytime you need me hey and let me give you a what you're doing is so important and so powerful so any way that i can once again any way i can be of help you let me know i'll always be here and there you have it Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Black Men in Medicine podcast, bringing you nothing but the gems. We did that. If you want to find out more about what we're doing with the Black Men in Medicine movement, you can check us out at www.blackmenandmed.com, www.blackmenmed.com, where you'll see highlights of black male physicians holding down the mission to serve in the hospital and surrounding communities. We provide a platform for medical doctors down to the pre-medical level to get connected with mentorship, scholarships, and collaborative medical projects. We are here for change. We are here to stay. Let's get connected. Make sure you tune into another episode of the Black Men in Medicine podcast, bringing you nothing but the gyms.